0: Uh, this morning we're starting a new series that we're calling why church or just why even bother with church and we thought this video would be a great introduction because it just highlights so well some of the answers we choose to answer the question well well why church why church why why bother with church you know for some of us we may answer it like a church hunter right church is something that should be according to my liking it should be something that is comfortable to me all those kinds of answers now There is another group of people right now, like new on the scene, um, that are beginning to answer the question, why church differently these days. Uh, In January, the Barna Group, it's a research company, they released a new study on the newest generation making an appearance in American society. That would be Generation Z. Um, For those of us that have never heard of Generation Z, they are the generation that is coming after Millennials. Um, So we have Boomers, then we have the Gen X, and then we have the Millennials, and now we have this thing called the Generation Z. Generation Z is, is anyone born between 1999 and 2015. It's basically America's youth. For me, what's crazy to think about this, though, is that Generation Z already has people in college. Like, it's that far along already. It feels like I've lost grip or something. It's pretty amazing. Uh, In the study that Barna conducted, uh, they measured just uh, Generation Z's general kind of beliefs towards the church, toward Christianity, and I wanted to share some of their findings with you uh, this morning. Uh, One question the survey asked was whether uh, Gen Z, the people in this uh, uh, study, identified as Christian or not. Uh, For context, if you're a part of the boomer generation, uh, you answered that question 75%. So 75% of boomers identified themselves as Christian. Uh, The Generation Z, our kids' generation, pulled at 59%, which is actually a pretty remarkable drop. Um, In some sense, it's not surprising, but it is a pretty big drop drop. Now when polled about whether they believe in God or not, so whether they're um, atheist or not, boomers, just for the record, you pulled at five percent. So five percent of the boomer generation said, yeah, we're atheists. We don't believe in God. Generation Z, 13 percent, which is a three times jump. Uh, in fact, Generation Z will be known as the most, most atheistic generation in the history of our country. It's kind of amazing. Uh, what I find more interesting, however, was Generation Z's attitude towards the church. Only 20% of Generation Z believe the church is very important to them. Only 20%, one in five. And they have reasons for this. And, they, and uh, there are two top reasons for why they uh, don't believe the church is very important to them. One, they believe God can be found elsewhere. And the second is they believe that the church is just plain not relevant to them at all. Um, with, the, with the second one, the church is not relevant to them. Uh, this second one, nearly half of those that answered that question were Generation Z kids that identified as Christians, which I think is kind of amazing. Half of the Christian Gen Z kids, church isn't really that relevant to me. You know, this study, it it identifies where Gen Z is at, but I think broadly speaking, I think it identifies where America's at today. It's just where we're at. Many of us today just simply don't believe that if we want to find God, that the church is the first place to go. We just don't believe that anymore. Many of us also believe that the church is just plain irrelevant to most of our lives. It's just plain irrelevant. God can be found elsewhere. The church is just personally not relevant to me, You know, it brings up the question, uh, does the church matter anymore? Does the church matter? Uh, does us meeting together weekly, do, does, it, does it matter anymore? Uh, does a Christian community where we support each other and we're there for each other and we, all the Christian community stuff, does, does, does that matter anymore? And, and so for the next three weeks, what we wanted to do is we wanted to talk about the church. And we're calling this series, Why Church?, Um, Why bother with church at all? And what we want to do is we want to dive into the Bible's answer to the question for why church, because the Bible actually paints an incredibly compelling picture for what the church can be. It absolutely does. Uh, Some of us, you know, we're church shoppers, just like the church shopper video, right? The church is a commodity. It's something that we consume. It's about what we get out of it. It's a product, so we're here because we either enjoy the worship or we enjoy the preaching or, or we enjoy the kids ministry or we enjoy the, the, the youth ministry or something else about the church. And I'm not saying that those are bad things to enjoy. I think we should enjoy those. Those should be good. But you see the church, the church is way more than that stuff. It's so much more. And that's what we wanna get at in this series. So to begin answering the question, why church? Um, we are going to turn our attention to our scripture reading this morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, 2 through 10. And Laura Teffner is going to read scripture for us this morning. So thank you for heading up, Laura. And what we do here is we stand, if you're able, and we face the center of the room for the reading of God's word. The reason we do so is because we give reverence to God's word. This is the story of Jesus. It's the gospel, greatest story ever told. So go ahead, Laura, when you're ready.
1: We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers We remember you before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath.
0: Thank you, Laura. You may be seated. So our scripture reading this morning is a letter from the Apostle Paul written to the church in Thessalonica. And and the Apostle Paul, essentially, what his job title was, if he had one, was traveling evangelist and then church planter. He kind of had a dual role. What Paul would do is he would travel off to cities or towns and he'd preach the gospel there. And then people would hear the gospel and they would give their lives to Jesus and it'd be these holy moments. And then what he would do with those people is he'd say, hey, you guys need to round up, come together and make a community. There's something about starting this church community with you that makes a difference and so what Paul would do is he would start these communities and it made this huge impact um, on the church and really the future trajectory of the church and so when Paul started new churches in the towns he would visit he would stick around with these new church plants that he was starting as he went he'd spend months and sometimes even years with these churches helping them get off the ground and build a solid foundation And then eventually, after he felt like the church was stable and solid, he would step away and then he'd head on off to a new town or a new city and then he'd do the exact same thing there. Now, what Paul would do, however, is he would try to maintain contact with the churches that he helped start, um, which he would often do in letters. Um, the, The scripture passage this morning is one of those letters that he wrote to a church that he helped start. Um, In the middle of our scripture reading, Paul actually mentions this. He mentions his relationship to the church in Thessalonica. Just listen to this a second, starting in verse four. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. And listen to this part. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us. And of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so, what Paul is speaking of is, is his involvement in this church plant in Thessalonica. Now, after Paul and his ministry team leave Thessalonica, uh, this new fledgling church, it appears, begins to take off. I mean, this church is on fire for the gospel, and this church is imitating Jesus with with everything it's got, and so much so that they actually build up a reputation around them in the cities and towns around them and then even beyond. Paul actually says that as he's traveling around near and far, he's hearing about what's going on in this church in Thessalonica, and it's all good stuff. It's an amazing testament to a healthy church, I think. This church was making a huge impact in nearly all spheres of its influence. And I have a question about this, though. And that is, what in the world was the church in Thessalonica doing to create such a positive reputation in the cities and towns around it? Because, you know, in our day today, uh, the view of church, the opinion of church, it's not a good one. So what in the world were they doing to gain such a positive opinion well in the beginning of our scripture reading paul explains just what the church is doing though he does so in general terms and he gives a list of three things listen to this from verse three we remember before our god and father your work produced by faith that's one your labor prompted by love that's two and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's three. Paul lists these three things that the church in Thessalonica was doing well. Work produced by faith. Labor prompted by love. Endurance inspired by hope. Now I want to get technical just for a moment this morning Because in the original language of the Greek These three phrases are actually in a specific grammatical form It's called the genitive And basically all that means is it's in the possessive form So if you were to translate these three phrases Literally you translate them a little differently This is how you translate them One, work of faith Two, struggle of love Three, endurance of hope. Now this sounds like a minor change perhaps, but I think it's a minor change with big implications in just how we understand what this church in Thessalonica was doing. The church in Thessalonica was not doing a work produced by faith. It's not that they had a faith and then somehow that was bleeding into their work. No, it was different than that. The the church in Thessalonica was literally doing a work of faith. They were working their faith. And there was something about working their faith that mattered. The church was doing something more than a, a labor prompted by love. No, the church in Thessalonica was doing a labor of love. You see that? Now, I used a different word if you caught it in your outline. I didn't use the term labor. Because when we use the term labor in our world, we think of work. But it's, it's different than that. It's more like maternal labor. It's more like having a baby labor. It's more like a struggle. It can be translated the struggle of love. It gets gets at the nature of practicing love to others. Sometimes it is difficult to love people. It's a struggle sometimes. And finally, Paul is, he's not necessarily admonishing this church for their endurance inspired by hope, but actually Paul was admonishing their endurance of hope, meaning the church had a hope that, was, that could last just about anything. It was enduring in all circumstances. As bad as it got, they always maintained hope. In some sense, in the most practical way possible, I think these three things well, they're really what makes up the life of a Christ follower, aren't they? I mean, if we're gonna boil it down to three things, this is pretty much it, isn't it? And perhaps some of you noticed, actually, there's the, the three things. Uh, there's faith, hope, and love. Perhaps you have this in your house somewhere. Faith, hope, and love. It comes from uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians, and he says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now, there's a big caveat, however, with these three things that this church was doing. You see, these three things that make up our lives of following Jesus are actually all things that must be done together. They're they're communal objectives. These are things that can only be practiced through community, I mean, think about it. Think about faith. What does working out our faith look like? Well, it looks like a lot of things, but one of the things that comes to mind for me is the Ten Commandments, right? They're the Ten Rules from God in some sense. They're the Ten Commandments. And we don't have the time to dive into what all the Ten Commandments and what they mean, but if you just take a brief look at them, what you would see is that the Ten Commandments are communal in nature. It is assumed that to fulfill the Ten Commandments, you have to be around a community to do so. They assume community. And the struggle for love. Well, that's an easy one. Because we can love lots of people if they're far from us. That's easy love, right? If someone's far from you, you can have good feelings toward them. You can can love them. It's fine. It's not a big deal. But it's the people that get close to us that it suddenly becomes a struggle, doesn't it? Because we let people get close to us. And then we're more vulnerable to them. And then they have the capacity to hurt us more deeply than other people. And then the struggle to love them, well, that it truly becomes a struggle, doesn't it? It's communal in nature. And in an enduring hope, sometimes in life, we just lose our hope, don't we? Something happens and our hope just falls away. And it's in those moments that we need the hope of others to come around us and support us and give us the hope that we don't have because sometimes we just don't have it. They're all three community-based. They're communal. It's why Paul in his ministry never just asked people to follow Jesus and then he walked away. But it's that he had to plant churches as he went. We're going to call you to faith and you're going to come to faith. Then we've got to put the church together along with it. You've got to be a part of a community to make this thing work. God created us to be dependent on one another he did throughout our whole lives we're called to be dependent on one another and I know that this kind of thinking makes us squirm a little bit doesn't it this idea of dependency it's always hard for us I mean, we live in Idaho where Idaho was birthed by cowboys, right? Like, the idea of, of depending on others just doesn't, it's not in our DNA, it's not in our blood. Cowboy culture is all about self-sufficiency and doing it ourselves and individualism. And we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we like it that way, right? That's, that's, that's the, amen? You weren't supposed to say amen there. That's not how it works. But let me explain. Let me explain why God created us to be dependent. You know, it's getting warmer outside. And with the warmth comes my children wanting to go outside more. And my boys have decided that they're getting into basketball. And we have a basketball hoop outside. And the boys are out there all the time shooting hoops and playing basketball. And they want dad to play with them and okay, I will play with them. One of the things I love about playing basketball with my kids, by the way, is it makes me understand what it must have felt like to be Pastor Brian in his college days like dunking on people or whatever. That's what it feels like to me. I feel like a boss out there. It's really great. I am awesome at basketball when I'm playing with children. I think that says something. But we've been playing together and they want me to play And so I've been playing ball with them And we started to play this two versus one ball Where it's me versus those two and then we play ball And and we started to play this way and they were on a team and it was just me And I was just like hammering through them, knocking them on the ground Saying get up you baby, you know like being a good father And then when I won just putting it right in their face, I beat you Like a good dad would do Um, They quickly learned something though As we're playing, and it's two versus one, they learned, and I did not teach them this, I don't know where they got this from, that if they pass the ball to each other often, they can get around me. I can't be in two places at once. And as we've been playing like this, suddenly the scores between our epic games are becoming more and more level. And then there was a day that they actually beat me. And I felt so ashamed that I told them I let them beat me because I can't (laughs) handle that. But being on a team, being together, It gives us an advantage in our faith, too. It gives us an advantage in our pursuit of faith, in our love, in our hope. When we're on a team, we just plain do it better. You know, long-distance runners also get this. I won't have you raise your hand if you're a long-distance runner because we'll shame you for that. So just don't raise your hand. But did you know that there is a running race right now that is bigger than a marathon. It is a century run. Now, you bikers, you know this, you've done century rides, you ride your bike for 100 miles. They have one where you run now 100 miles and then you run that 100 miles straight until it's done. It's pretty amazing. And there are runners and they actually run this thing and they don't stop the whole time and they finish. It's incredible what humans can actually do when they put their minds to something. However, Many of these runners in these races, these 100 mile races, when they're running, what they need to finish is they need a pacer, which is essentially a person running up beside them and running with them, making sure that they keep a certain pace, encouraging them along the way. And most of these runners would never finish a 100 mile race without a pacer. And they'll have several pacers go in and out as they're running this 100 mile race. You know, there's something about running with the pacer that makes the runner better and more durable and frankly probably makes the running more fun for them as well. And it's no different with the church. In many ways, that is the purpose of the church, to pursue the faith and love and hope that Paul commended the church in Thessalonica but to realize it's a thing that needs to be done together. That's how we do it. We do it together. And, we're, and here is the thing, folks. We do this church thing together, and we don't just do it because we like to you know, sing kumbaya in front of the fire together. No, it's more than that. You see, we do this community thing, and we do it together, and we do it for the whole world. We do it for the world out there. There's something about us being community that it's good for the world, When followers of Jesus come together with a common mission like pursuing faith and love and hope, that group of Jesus followers, that church, gains the capacity to make a huge difference in the world. And you know, the little church plant in Thessalonica is a great example of this. You know, they came together as as one body, as one church, and they pursued Jesus. And, And I love what Paul writes about them. It's amazing. Listen to this from verse eight. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. The Lord's message rang out from the church in Thessalonica. The church made a difference in the world, a massive difference in the world. And though we don't get to hear exactly what that difference looked like, I imagine it's something like Acts 2, where the Lord added to their number daily those who are coming to faith. You know, I don't know about you, but I really desire that for my life. I want to be known like the Thessalonican church for the gospel ringing out in my life And I want to see God make a big difference in our world through me. I really want to see that. I want to be a part of something bigger. Don't we really want that out of our lives? I mean, how many of our lives just resemble some kind of daily grind, right? Where we wake up, we get ready in the morning, we go to work, we take a half hour, hour long break for lunch, we go back to work. We finish up our work all afternoon, and then we come home, and then we make dinner, and then we eat dinner. And then those of us with kids, we spend the rest of the evening shuttling our children to sports and drama and dance and friends' houses and all over the place. And then we get to the end of the night, and then we get to our bed, and then we lay down, and then we go to sleep. And then we wake up, and then we do the exact same thing tomorrow, all over again. And then in the midst of it, sometimes, don't you, at least ask the question, like, what's the point of this? What difference does this make at all in the world? And yes, raising kids is important and bringing home an income, yes, that is important. But isn't there some bigger reason out there for our existence? And some of us view our faith and all we view it as is some kind of golden ticket to heaven, right? That one day Jesus is gonna come back and make all things new or we're gonna die and be with Jesus. But this life right here, right now, we just have to endure this until we get there and that's all that life is. But God calls us to so much more. God is calling you and me to something more, to something bigger in our lives. And don't we want something more out of our lives? And the way that we discern what that something more is, that something bigger is with our lives, is we do it together, we do it as a church. And when we do this church thing together, we get lost in this something bigger that we're doing together, this gospel venture, and then the Lord's message, the Lord's message rings out into the whole world, and the whole world needs to hear that message, desperately needs to hear it, because it gives the world something to have faith in when they have no faith and it gives the world a reason to love anything in this world and it gives our our whole world a hope that it absolutely craves imagine if the whole world heard the ring of the gospel and the vast majority accepted it imagine what our world might look like it'd be totally different you know, what if what if us, TFRC did church like Thessalonica did church and, and we acted like the church in Thessalonica. And, and then the good news rang out of our church, just like in Thessalonica. I mean, seriously, do you know how large the church in Thessalonica was? Three dozen, four dozen? I mean, our church is literally probably a hundred times larger than the church in Thessalonica. A hundred times. How would our ring sound, our ring of the good news in this world, how much louder would it be? You know, what if all of us who call TFRC our home, we really took it seriously to show up and to care for each other and to support each other and to proclaim the gospel together and to do this community thing together, and we relied on each other. What if we practiced our faith and, and we loved each other and we loved people that we felt like didn't even deserve it, and we had a hope and we, we guarded that hope all together as a community and we just couldn't be shaken from our hope? How far would the good news ring out into the world? How far? Guys, I want that so badly. Don't you? Do you want it? We could literally change the world. We could change the world. Are you ready? You ready? You know, in this series, each week we're gonna challenge you with something. Um, If you're wanting to be a part of something bigger than yourself, you know, if you're wanting your life to start meaning something more than kind of just the humdrum flow of life, what if this week you took a step and that stuff was to formally saying, you know what, TFRC is my home. You know, perhaps you didn't know this, but we have, we have membership here, and do you wanna know the percentage of the people that are members here, the percentage of us? Half, 50% of us have said, you know what, I formally am gonna say, this is my community. Half, you know, it might be individualism, or we don't like joining things, or some other reason, but it's only half. And I actually think that it hampers our mission here. It hampers those three things that God calls us to do. I really think it does. Connections starts literally next week in the fireside room during the second service. What if if you haven't taken connections, what if you decided to put your hand in and say, "You know what? This is my family. TFRC is my family. I am joining this place. We are going to get lost in this something bigger together and we're going to make a difference in the world." What if you did that? This week? What if you joined? Imagine the difference it could make. How loud could the good news ring out of this place that we call TFRC? How loud? It could be amazing. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, all the church stories in the New Testament. God, and we thank you for churches like this small church in Thessalonica and how this small church could make such a huge difference in the world, God, and have such a positive reputation. And God, we honestly come to you and we just pray that you make us look something like that. God, we want to have that positive reputation where your good news literally does ring out into the magic valley and ring out into the world to the ends of the earth, God. We so desire that. And so God, we pray that that you make make us into a community that looks perhaps just a little more like the church in Thessalonica. So your good news can ring out of this place, God. And we thank you for that mission and that purpose that you give us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. So one of the passages that uh, Pastor Brian and Pastor Chuck and I have been thinking a lot about lately is from uh, Acts 2, and I'd like to use it as our blessing this morning. Listen to this starting in verse 42 Lord added to their number daily those who were saved. Let that be us this week. Amen.